0: In other words, the only reason I'm getting paid 0.003 dollars per stream is because they make all the rules. But I should be able to distribute this and also make the rules at the same time. And so that was the that was the key problem from an engineering standpoint that I saw at the intersection of creativity and technology. It was, well, the rights management is problematic. I shouldn't have to ask Spotify what I can charge for my thing. And the only way to do that is if you can codify the terms of access, the price and everything else into a contract that is specifically associated with that salt.
1: Hey, everybody, Tanner here with Wagme Ventures. On today's episode, we have Brandon Tory, founder of Formless. For anyone who's new, this is the Wagme Ventures podcast, where we do snapshots with interesting builders, founders and investors from across Web3. Check out wagmeventures.io to learn more about the syndicate behind the podcast. But for now, let's get into it with Brandon at Formless. All right. Hey, everybody. This is the Wagmi Ventures podcast. I'm Tanner, and I'm here today with Brandon Torrey, who's the founder at Formless. Brandon, what's up? How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well, Tanner. Great to be here. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm super pumped to talk about Formless. Okay. So I, I definitely want to get to Formless, but I think your path is really interesting. And so you know, by way of introduction, I thought we could maybe just start by talking a little bit about you, because you've been an engineer at companies like Google and Apple, but you have also pursued, pursued a career in music separate from your engineering career. Yeah. So I'm curious if you can tell us maybe a little bit just to basically start there. You know, how did this interest in crypto come about? How does this fit into the constellation of interests and experiences early on?
0: Yeah, great question. So I grew up in Brockton, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston, and I've been really, really passionate about tech since I was a kid. I actually was like dumpster diving for parts and putting together computers, you know, since I was 13. I wanted to be a hacker more than anything, so I spent a lot of time in IRC channels and, you know, all types of forums, just learning everything I could. So that was my passion as a kid but i grew up in a neighborhood where hip hop was was very very prevalent you know a lot, a lot of young teens that were in the streets that was the way that we that we connected and so i had this dichotomy of you know tech and then creativity and culture and at that time tech wasn't as cool as it is today and so it was a little bit difficult for me to figure that out in terms of what my identity would be as i grew up, grew older and the word formless came to mind this idea of you know us as humans were capable of so much and i think that these boxes that institutions have put around us are increasingly going away. And so Formless was a word I used to describe myself and my identity. As you said, I went on to become a senior engineer at Apple and then a staff engineer at Google on the machine intelligence team. But at the same time, my passion for hip hop and creativity never went away. I actually got signed as an artist by Dallas Austin. I put out multiple albums. And it was around this time when I started to just think about how can we use technology to fix some of the problems that I personally experienced in the creator economy. And you asked about crypto. It actually was my wife. My wife comes from a traditional finance background. She was working at Morgan Stanley, and she was seeing the disruption that crypto and blockchain was bringing to finance. And she said, you really need to check this out. And I was a skeptic. You know, as an engineer, I looked at it and I said, don't, I don't really see why this matters. You know, there's all these types of physical enforcement problems. I don't see how this is going to revolutionize my space. But I then read the Ethereum white paper and took a really serious look at what was happening. And immediately, the light bulb went off you know, this idea that there's going to be a programmable world computer that's completely decentralized and permissionless. And I, I just was, you know, I was sprung at that moment. And so decided to build the share protocol, turn Formless into a company. And, you know, we've gone on to raise capital to build a product and and here we are today. Super cool.
1: Okay. Awesome. So let's talk about Formless. In your, in your own words, like how would you describe or kind of explain what Formless is and, and what the share protocol is, what it all enables?
0: Yeah, so at a high level, formless is a network, but it's a new network. It's a network where at the forefront there is co-ownership of property and limitless revenue sharing. And so Share Protocol is essentially a set of smart contracts that you can look at as kind of primitive Lego blocks to to exist and build within this network topology. And what it means is that for any piece of property on the internet, you can make the ownership of it and the revenues associated with that property multiplayer. And the innovation comes from my background in music because music is an interesting form of digital property. But one of the things we learned over the course of building this out is it has applications beyond music. And so, you know, we've done things like video. We've thought about things like other forms of property that we can decentralize in this way. And so really, we look at it as how do you decentralize product distribution to get the benefits of network effects in a world where we can do permissionless rights management and revenue sharing?
1: Super interesting. Okay. Okay. So as just kind of a preliminary framing question here, can you maybe make super explicit for us and unpack, you know, why this sort of decentralized distribution protocol would be a valuable thing to, you know, developers, users, you know, for just taking music to start, like what happens in the music space if there's formless, fully operational at scale?
0: Yeah. So a great way to to explain this is probably just a real world example. So I I did a case study with a song, my own song, which is called Money Can't Buy Love. And again, the protocol goes to all forms of property, but music is a really good concrete use case. And what I decided to do was I threw a Twitter space with 194 people, and I completely decentralized the revenue associated with the song. And so I said, you know what? Anybody who wants to click this button, you're going to be in the splits with me. And as a result of that, you know, I got 100 people to co-own this digital property with me. Now, people may ask, well, why would you do that? Why would you give away ownership? or rights to the future revenues of a piece of digital property for free. Why, why would you do that? Well, it's because the biggest problem that companies, businesses, creators have is distribution. The biggest problem is how do I get this product into more people's hands in the face of intermediaries like algorithms and other things that we have on the internet today? And so the solution that that we're proposing is well, you decentralize the distribution? Because I have a hundred co-owners I now have mutually aligned incentives with this micro community in a way that I never could do before without blockchain technology. And so, as a result of that, not only did I spike the revenue on that, but I I started to create these magic moments where consumers were getting passive income, and they'd get a, a message in their inbox that says, "Hey, you just got paid for being in the in the royalty splits on Money MoneyCamp." I love, and they started to send me messages like, "This is something I've never experienced before. This is revolutionary. This is this is so." interesting. I didn't even know this was possible. And what, what we loved about it was these were people that didn't know anything about blockchain technology. And so their first interaction with blockchain was, well, I just made money in a passive way. And mm-hmm. so that's where we think this gets really, really interesting. In a second example, I then wanted to reward everybody who transacted on that digital property. And so I did a subsequent release, which was a video, a fully decentralized video, where I, again, invited anybody who wanted to join this splits to participate in revenue with me. Now, the difference here, I learned from the first release, the difference was I actually asked people to retweet the video before they could join the splits. And within four hours, all splits were claimed, retweeted by tons of people, big creators, you know, people that have been loyal in my network. And all these microtransactions to put people into the smart contract splits were happening live on Twitter. And there was a countdown and literally the whole smart contract was filled. And then the, the video dropped and it got like 13,000 views in a day. And so. This is the idea. And you can imagine this, imagine extending this to big creators. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm a relatively unknown creator who's experimenting with this technology, but imagine this with big creators, with big brands, with, with other forms of products and property. And that's what we see in terms of the formless network and the share protocol.
1: Super, super cool. Hey everybody, quick thing here. We're excited to announce Wagney Advisory, your home for all things fundraising, hiring and partnerships. This is all about supercharging your project with the Wagner Network, consisting of over 20,000 executives, investors, and builders in crypto, all ready to come alongside your project to help it succeed. Get in touch at team at to learn more and figure out if Wagner Advisory is the right fit for your project. Now, let's get back to the show. So I'm curious, just from your musician background, how were your experiences navigating the contemporary music industry? You know, how, how did those experiences shape what you're building? Because it's, it's not exactly a secret, right? That streaming kind of somewhat broke music specifically with really like too little money coming into the system to power creator sustainability kind of by traditional means. And so I'm, I'm curious what lessons, you, you know, you've, you've described what is being built. What lessons kind of animate those, that, that building?
0: Yeah, 100%. I mean, the thing that got me into this actually was, was the idea of control. So as a creator or a musician, to be, to be more specific, when I take an MP3 file and I put it on the internet, I'm actually relinquishing the control of the administration of the rights to that intellectual property, to whatever platform the MP3 file resides on. And as an engineer, that was always problematic to me. It was like, well, this is my song. So why, why am I trusting Spotify's code or YouTube's code or somebody else's code? To administer these rights and in, in, in other words the only reason i'm getting paid 0.003 dollars per stream is because they make all the rules but i should be able to distribute this and also make the rules at the same time and so that was the that was the key problem from an engineering standpoint that i saw at the intersection of creativity and technology was well the rights management is problematic i shouldn't have to ask spotify what i can charge for my thing and the, the only way to do that is if you can codify the terms of access, the price, and everything else into a contract that is specifically associated with that song. Well, before blockchain, there was no way to do that. There was no scalable technology that would enable you to have one contract per song for every song on the internet, right? You, you need to have blanket licensing, blanket contracts. And so that's why streaming is the way it is. And it, it was an innovation that solved a lot of things we had with private with uh, piracy. But we're past that now. We now have the technology to have a per-property-level contract. Okay, so we started to do this, and it's great, and creators love the idea of control. But the, the, the fascinating part was when you think about the go-to-market. It's like, okay, well, assuming you do solve the control problem, how do you get a lot of people to care and to adopt this? And that's where I kind of flipped it around and started to think about the consumer perspective. And it turns out that the most interesting thing you can do if you actually control the rights and the, and the sovereignty of your property is not charge whatever you want, although that is interesting. The most interesting thing you can do is share the revenue with, with hundreds of thousands. Right. Of people. <laughs> and that's where that's where it really started to open up for us.
1: Got it. So cool. Okay. So I came across a quote online where you'd said something to the effect of a seed propagates and grows as a result of dynamic natural processes. And it's yeah. the same solution in the creator economy. And so I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. <clears throat> you know, how does what you're building... Maybe shift these natural processes in sort of a more creator-friendly way as distinct from the less creator-friendly environments maybe at play at the application
0: level currently. Yeah, yeah I love that question. So if, if you think about what, you know, what is distribution and, and if we use nature as an analogy, distribution is, you know, how far can I get this seed into the world? And on the internet, that typically means either you're doing paid advertising or you're doing, you're using algorithmic ranking. So maybe I use TikTok or Instagram. I'm trying to get the algorithm to pick this up and distribute it. And, and those are good tools. There's, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. There can be problems, but it's a good idea. But, but what about the, the idea of collective distribution just because humans agree that this thing should be, should propagate, not because the algorithm says it should. And so th- this is what I meant about that organic piece where you know a much more natural process would be well whether or not the algorithm recognizes this this is important there are 150 people who agree and we co-own it and we have mutually aligned incentives and that kicks off this this kind of network effect where that experience produces a subsequent experience as, as i mentioned where i took you know a video and i rewarded the people who participated in the song and and so now i have a way to just build out a network that's it's an ownership network. It's independent of what algorithms think. It's about the fact that I co-own it with people. It's a lot more like what we see in communities and and cities and things like that in the real world.
1: Love it. Okay. So I'm curious, you know, recurring question on this podcast is really just about early challenges. Cause I, I think the way that some of the early earliest challenges are solved kind of does set up some path dependency for where things go in the future. Right. And so I'm, I'm curious specifically for formless, like maybe what's what are one or two things you run into, one or two obstacles and and how have you kind of solved for those obstacles in the earliest days?
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting as a founder, the challenges change over time. I think in the beginning, you know, to be honest, one of the biggest challenges is fundraising because fundraising consumes so much time and you're trying to build a product and you're trying to go to market, you're trying to do other things and you have to you have to dedicate time to fundraising. You have to dedicate time to things that maybe aren't the the reason you got into it for, but you, you have to do it. It's important. So that is one. I think the other is, you know, you have technical challenges. So for us, we really wanted to introduce this idea of limitless revenue sharing. And so we had to come up with some novel techniques with the smart contracts to be able to overcome some of the gas costs associated with with having lots of people in a smart contract. And so that's kind of the fun part because I'm a technical guy, so I enjoy that part. But But then you get to a phase where the biggest challenge, I think, and I think many people would agree, becomes go to market. And that's fascinating because what the way that I've started to see how that is most effectively solved is through testimony. So like you actually just do it and then you tell the story. And that is far easier for the market to understand than the, the theory of what it could do. And that that's something that we've recently started to observe in our kind of go to market strategy.
1: Very cool. Okay. So, you know, you shared those super cool use cases you've already mentioned. I'm curious maybe to just build on those a little bit. You've You've touched on a little bit this question of, you know, where could this go? You know, if, if this continues to accelerate and it's used by bigger and bigger creators or different types of creators. I mean, I think I'm just curious. I think my question here would mainly be just be, how do you think about future trajectories here? Possibilities? What gets you most excited as you think about where this is kind of evolving itself?
0: Yeah, the, the thing that gets me most excited is the idea of decentralized property in general. Like you, even if we just subtracted the word creator, and just thought about property ownership and property management and revenue sharing associated with any types of property. We're having discussions now about, you know, decentralizing physical experiences, decentralizing anything where you can use smart contracts to facilitate the, the revenue associated with, with the product or the property. And I think that just opens up this whole new world of how we cooperate together across some of the institutional boundaries that we've traditionally had. And I wrote about this in, in a piece called The Multiplayer Digital Economy, which is on my website, uh, BrandonTory.com. But you know, a lot of the ways that we've cooperated as humans are, are based on these, these structures like corporations, which are, which are great, or countries, and those are great. But that's because you need somebody to enforce the contractual terms. And so like corporations are essentially these, these units of cooperation among people where the, where the agreement to cooperate is honored by the constitution of the government in which the corporation is established. But with smart contracts and like digital property, you can get the same benefits without any of those rules. And that to me is just fascinating. So we have, you know, the idea of these co ownership networks that exist independent of the traditional institutions that we've used to cooperate with each other.
1: Such a cool vision. Okay. So I'd love to take a step back from Formless here and just maybe ask you a couple maybe more general questions about your experience and also kind of the space right now. And I, I think my first question would just be, you know, this is kind of an interesting moment for the crypto and blockchain space, right? You know, a lot of a lot of more excited conversations and people really just looking up after the last really like year and a half, two years and saying, okay, this could be an interesting moment, right? I'm curious from your vantage point as a founder, you know, how do you interpret where we're at right now? And how do how should people think about the season that we're in?
0: Good question. I mean, to be honest, I, I Chris Dixon had a great line, I think, at the, at the accelerator we were at with A16Z, where he talked about just the trajectory of the internet itself and how in the 90s, it was illegal to use certain forms of encryption. And so e-commerce just wasn't even possible. And, and the analogy is that that's actually where we are today with regard to decentralized technologies. So I think, I think it's so early that what we're seeing right now is an explosion of ideas and people. You know, experimenting. And I think that that will kind of converge into a set of really battle tested and distilled use cases that then become these bricks that that can turn into mosaics of this really interesting new digitally native society. That's the way I see it.
1: Yeah, I love that. Okay. So, you know, from your, again, your vantage point at kind of this interesting intersection of culture and decentralized technologies, I'm curious, you know, what other projects or protocols do you think are doing interesting work that kind of enable creators in interesting ways? Maybe creating different economic engines for creative industries, different than formless, right? Yeah, great question. I mean, there's a ton.
0: I, I think Zora is one that the people are, are widely familiar with. Sound. Sona is a is a new streaming protocol that, that we, you know, we're friends with the founder. IYK. Is another company that was in the A16Z accelerator. Us, we love what they're doing. They're using NFC technology for physical experiences and physical products. Spatial Labs, which is founded by a friend of mine, Idris Sandu, doing some really, really innovative work. There are a lot of companies that I think are doing great. You know, great work. I think you know, as I said, the, the interesting thing to me is that the promise of Web3 is really how do these how do these Lego bricks fit together? Because if if we come out of the other side here and we just have you know 10 corporations and they each have this kind of vertically integrated experience then i don't i don't think that's very different than web2 right but, right but what's really cool is if everybody handles their business and, and and retains the vision of interoperability then we should be able to switch between these applications and the network layer is still you know shared under the hood and that to me was what was the magic of web3 when i got into it the fact i could connect my wallet to Open Sea, and then connect it to some other app, and everything's still lit up. I mean, that's an experience that I've been waiting for on the internet my whole life. Super interesting. Okay, so
1: another recurring question here: If I were to ask you or say to you, the future of crypto is blank, how would you fill in the blank?
0: Future of crypto, I'd say limitless. I think the future of crypto is limitless. I, I, I think we don't yet really understand what this, what this really and what it's really going to mean in the future.
1: Yeah. Love that. Okay. So a couple last questions here for you, Brandon, if I can just ask really your most generalizable advice for founders in the crypto space, because it's such a unique kind of idiosyncratic world to be in sort of, you know, frontier mentality, a lot, you know, I don't want to say more risk, but certainly more volatility from From other types of founders, and so i'm I'm curious from that sort of again, your vantage point as a founder, what would you maybe want to impart to anyone else that is kind of new to this space and maybe also new to the founder journey
0: yeah i've I've definitely consulted the sages on this. I think two really big things: one focus on the vision and two focus on the customer and Those two things sound very simple, they sound trivial, but they're not because as the project matures as things become things become more complex as you talk to more investors, like everything starts to become an order of magnitude um, higher in complexity. And so remembering those two fundamental principles, I think actually will lead to you building a successful business and product. And and that's that's advice that I heard early on. I didn't understand it. And as I get deeper in, I do, I do understand how that is a really important set of principles to go by.
1: Love it. That's always the best advice, right? Is the things that you've heard early and didn't quite make sense without the applied experience. And then, yeah. Okay. Love it. Brandon, what is your team working on right now? And what is the best way for people to follow along on the Formless journey?
0: Yeah, please go to www.formless.com xyz. You can learn everything about our company, everything about this idea of a multiplayer internet. Right now, we actually are getting a ton of inbound requests to use the protocol and the technology. So we're just working to scale up capacity. And yeah, looking forward to the future and excited to have uh, Wagmi on board with us.
1: Amazing. Brandon, thank you so much for the time. I mean, truly always remarkable to get to talk to people really kind of operationalizing some of these promises early on of decentralized technology in interesting spaces. So, you know, really glad to be along for the journey and thank you for the time.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Tanner.
1: All right. Take care. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, go ahead and maybe give us a good five-star rating and subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts so you can get all the latest conversations with the most interesting crypto founders, investors, and builders from across the world. Thanks so much. Have a good one.